What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Missing Persons. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Speaking of Missing Persons, and welcome to the new listeners. Before we get started on today's episode, a little bit of business. We have another show, Speaking of Murders. Make sure you're going and checking that out. We also have a Patreon where we're posting up bonus episodes every other weekend. That's linked in our episode notes and show description, so you can check that out there. Don't miss out on those episodes. And while you're in there, you'll find links for our socials where we're posting pictures of all of the people from these episodes. So check that out. Um, also, if you don't mind leaving us a, a five-star rating, leave a comment, share it with your friends, your family, coworkers, whoever, we really appreciate it. It helps us get out to more people so they can hear these stories too. And uh, if you know of a missing person case that you want to hear on the show, send that to our email, speakingofmissingpersons at gmail.com. All that said, Sarah is telling our case today Oh, Patreon. That's Arthur. right. I almost <laughs> forgot. We have a new patron who wishes to be known as the executive producer, Arthur H. from the Ether. Thank you, Arthur. We appreciate you. You're awesome. Thank you, Uncle Hardy. <laughs> so, all of that said, Sarah, who are we talking about? We are going to talk about a girl named Cynthia Anderson. Okay. She went by Cindy, like most Cynthias do. She was born February 4th, 1961, and she was raised in a very religious household where most of the things she did when she was a kid, such as like going swimming or camping, she did through the family's church. Okay. So most of her friends and things like that, she knew through church. She was described by her father as a very quiet and obedient girl, and her neighbors described her as a very good-looking young woman. I hate that term I for hate, a description of someone. I know. Obedient. Yeah, I know. I just don't like it. I know. I don't like it either. In 1980, Cindy was 20 years old, and she started having weird dreams. And yes, I said dreams. She told her mother, <laughs> Samantha was about to question it. That's why I said yes. I said dreams. Like dreams as in what to do as an, uh, like an adult? Nope. I mean, what happens to you when you go to sleep and your imagination like run right? Yeah, like actual dreams. Like okay. sleeping dreams. I also had the same quick thought of like what was she dreaming to be what was so weird about it but i get it okay these dreams in air quotes because they weren't really dreams they were nightmares she told they were like so scary to her that she told her mother about them she started having nightmares about being abducted from her home and being murdered by a stranger okay She was plagued by these dreams 
for an entire year. Foreboding much? And they scared the living shit out of her. Her mom, though, did not take them seriously and just, you know, tried to calm her down and say they're just, it's just a dream. But in all reality, they were premonitions. Maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like some weird I mean, foreshadowing if there. If you believe in clairvoyance, sure. Well, on August 4th, 1981, Cindy's nightmare pretty much came true. Uh-oh. Her day started like any other. She was a secretary at a law firm on East Manhattan Boulevard in Toledo, Ohio. Cindy went to work that morning, parked her car in her normal spot, went inside, and got to work. She was usually there alone in the mornings, so she kept the doors locked. She also had a buzzer at her desk that went to the shop next door in case of an emergency. One of the partners had this installed because Cindy had been getting strange and harassing phone calls in the weeks leading up to this day. I mean, at least they tried. At noon on the 4th, two of the lawyers showed up at the office after being in a meeting. They found the front door locked with, like, mail sticking in the mail slot. The radio lights and the air conditioning were all on. At first, they thought maybe Cindy went to lunch, so they decided to put their stuff down and they would just go to lunch, too. It was noon. When they got back, though, Cindy was still nowhere to be found. One of the lawyers noticed at her desk there was a a novel, like a romance novel, open, and it was open to the only violent scene in the whole book and the scene was about the heroine being abducted at knife point Uh oh okay that's really weird some extra weird like what they believed that foul play had taken place so they called the police police reached out to cindy's family and friends but none of them had seen her it made no sense to the people that loved her because she was about to put in her notice at the law firm in a couple of weeks because she was going away to a Bible college with her boyfriend. So, like, everyone that knew her knew she had gotten into this college and was leaving in a couple weeks. Police did not believe she just ran away either, strangely, like they mostly did. I was going to say that's different. Right? But... There were no signs of a struggle in the office or any sign of forced entry. Like we said, when the lawyers got there, the doors were locked. Her purse and keys were missing, but her car was parked in the parking lot and it was locked. They figured out a timeline by when she had stopped answering the phones that morning, which was around 10 a.m., They also figured out that the custodian had seen her last at 8.50 a.m., and he said everything seemed fine with her. Another witness said that they walked by the office and looked into the window to check the time at 9.45 a.m. and also did not notice anything strange. Cindy was sitting there working. Now, she stopped answering the phone 15 minutes later. Police searched Cindy's home. 
but that didn't bring them any closer to finding her. During the investigation, police received tips, but none of them really went anywhere. One man named Larry Mullins claimed that the day before Cindy vanished, he was in the office and she received a phone call from an unidentified person. He told police that she seemed upset by the caller and maybe even a little scared. The person called Cindy twice while Larry was there. When he asked her if something was wrong, she told him that she had been receiving phone calls like that recently, but she did not tell him what the caller had said to her. They're all just quietly contemplating. Another lead they found was that someone had written a message on a wall near the office that read, I love you, Cindy, by GW. George Washington. They're all just looking at me confused. Cindy had noticed this message 10 months before she disappeared. It remained there for six months, and then it was covered up. It reappeared weeks after they covered it up. I mean, was there anyone in the area with those initials that might have been associated with her or the law firm? We'll see. Police were not sure if this had anything to do with her disappearance, but they questioned several people with the initials GW. This included the maintenance man who had keys to the office. It was him. But they could not find anything to link him to her disappearance. I'm sorry. It's oddly convenient, though. I'm sorry. Like, it's either the maintenance man or the butler every time. All right. I'm glad you said that because that was all it made me think of was Shauna's gone with the butler did it. (laughs) That's oddly convenient. (laughs) What's really fucking me up right now is who has time to make sure the book is sprawled open? Right. They would have had a very particular scene. I don't know. That part to me is incredibly odd. They would have had to have read that same book. I don't. I don't know. It was the butler. A month after her disappearance, in September of 1981, police received an anonymous tip that she was being held against her will. This tipster was nervous and refused to give the investigator her name. Her claim was that Cindy was being held in the basement of a white house. She said that there was two houses side by side that were owned by the same family. She claimed the family was out of town and their son was holding Cindy captive. She did not give an address and when the investigator asked for more information, she hung up. She did... Call back a few minutes later, and another investigator tried to listen in on the phone call, but the woman immediately hung up again. That's really weird. This woman has never called back, and is not, it's not, nothing is known about her or whether she was being legit. Nothing. That's really, really weird because it almost sounded like she was also in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Like she had something to do with it. Or maybe she was, was also, also being, being held, held captive and got to a phone, but then no got true. caught. In January of 1982, 
Police sent Cindy's description and photo to over 3,000 medical examiners and coroners across the country asking if they had any unidentified bodies that matched her description. Nothing came of this. There was no, nothing that matched her. Cindy's family has searched for her for years, even hiring a private detective and appealing to the media for help. The biggest possible breakthrough in this case came in November of 1995, when a federal grand jury handed down a 25-count indictment to nine individuals and charged them with involvement in a large drug distribution ring. Two of these individuals were also indicted on charges of abducting and murdering Cindy. One was one of the law partners at the law firm she worked at. His name was really? Richard Neller. The other was his friend, Jose Rodriguez Jr. Jose was allegedly the ringleader of the operation. Later that same month, police announced that they believed that Neller had killed Cindy because she overheard a conversation between him and Jose about their operation. Don't talk about that shit at your job. Her father, Michael, said if Cindy would have known something about this, she would have gone straight to the police. So he kind of doesn't believe that's true. That she wouldn't just withhold that information? No. That she would have, like, if she would have heard that, she would have immediately, like, went to the police. She seems like she would uphold the law like that. During Jose's trial, a witness testified that Jose admitted to killing Cindy. This person claimed he he did this to send a message to Richard because Richard had not represented him adequately during his, a previous trial. But why would well, Cindy... why Cindy? Like, yeah, what does she have to do with any his, of them? Because that was his receptionist. So it was like, I'm sending a message. Yeah, but I mean, that's not like a real connection no. there. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. No. The problem was police could not confirm this witness's testimony, and they had no evidence against the two men. Both men are currently serving sentences for drug trafficking, And they remain suspects in Cindy's case, but they have nothing to prove it. The police also identified the person that wrote the message in 1981 on the wall, but felt this person has nothing to do with Cindy's disappearance. There was another girl that worked in that office, the office spaces, that's name was Cindy, and he loved her. Oh, so it was a totally different Cindy. It was Cindy. a totally different Cindy. Weird. I did find one article that police were searching an area in Toledo called Perrysburg Pond and told Cindy's father they believed that is where <clears throat> her body was located, along with several other bodies. But I could not find any other mention of this anywhere or if it happened or, if or there what were the actually bodies was found nothing else about that. The day Cindy went missing, she was last seen wearing a white V-neck dress with pink pinstripes. 
cinnamon brown pantyhose and beige open-toed ankle strap sandals. If you have any information about Cindy's disappearance, please contact the Toledo Police Department at 419-245-3340. Anybody got any theories? You think the lawyer did it? I I don't think the lawyer did it. But I think that, you know, if he's involved in this ring and he's getting threatened by, you know, a previous client slash, you know... uh, Drug associate? Right. It it wouldn't shock me if she overheard something and before she got a chance, Mm -hmm. you know, to report it, something happened to her. Yeah. Or if, like you said, there was some disagreement between these two men and... He just took someone who was nearby him, not yeah. necessarily in his like inner circle or something, but just someone close in vicinity to him in life and went to him and said, look, I can make them disappear. I can make you disappear just as fucking easy. My problem is, is the book being open to that specific thing made it personal. It's, it's not even that. And- it's not even that. It's the fact that she locked the door behind her. Yeah. And the door was still locked after she was missing. Yes. She would not just let this Jose into the firm, I feel like, if she was not comfortable with him being there or hadn't met him before for her for him to just like snatch her. But how do we know if she'd met him before or not? Yeah, we don't know. But we do I mean, to me that still means it could be the lawyer. Because he would have had a key. He would have had keys to the building. I mean, right. maybe the lawyer, but uh, the maintenance My... man seems to be convenient. They ruled him out. I'm just saying. Like, I feel like the information that you were able to find is kind of the tip of the iceberg with this one. I think there's a lot more going on underneath the surface that n- just no one has been able to to right. uncover yet. Right. My thing is is I feel like this being locked in a house thing somewhere has weight to it, especially if she had been getting threatening phone calls from someone. Like right. I'm wondering if maybe this dude at this house, this son, they knew each other and he had been harassing her for weeks and weeks or maybe even a freaking year. And that's why she started having these nightmares is because he was threatening her. Right. And maybe she had a stalker. And Yeah, through the church. Through the church. Not her boyfriend because he was also ruled out. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. And then she got, like, my thing is, is like, what if she just stepped out for like a second to go get something and locked the door behind her? And they snatched Mm. her from the parking lot. Right. I mean, she did have her purse. Yeah. And she knew she she was... She was about to go get lunch or something, stepped out of the building. Or to go get breakfast since it was like 9.45 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? I feel like the whole book thing is just coincidental. Yeah, that's... It's oddly... It's odd. (laughs) But they point it out in every single article. You're gonna... They don't say the name of the book. They just say it was a romance novel. The fuck? And they point it out in every single article. They make it a huge deal that this it's book very was laid. Coincidental. It's yes. very odd for her to be having night terrors about that same scenario, mm-hmm. and then to be reading the exact spot in the book of that scenario. Right. And then it happened to her. You know, there's a certain level of 
I don't know how many times she's read this book, if it's her first time through, if she's read it a lot, because I know I can tell you from personal experience, there's movies that I've watched so many times that I've had dreams where I'm char- a character in these movies. Yeah, but she was like having actual night terrors. Like it like was actually scaring the shit to out of her. her, freaking her the hell out. That's what makes me almost feel like she had been being stalked or something. Right. Like she had been Somebody made her feel uneasy. Yes. And was causing her to have these dreams. Obviously somebody was harassing her over the phone. They're calling her at work multiple times a and day. And they gave her a buzzer to yeah. the building next door just because of it. Exactly, which makes me believe she was not inside the building when she got taken. Because if she was, she would have hit that buzzer. True. Making the book being open to that part completely coincidental. Exactly. Like, I bet you she was freaking got to that part of the book and was like, ugh, I don't know about this. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to go get something for breakfast real quick. And somebody got her in the parking lot on her way to her car. And that's why there's no sign of a struggle. The door was locked. She didn't hit that buzzer. Like, to me, that's the only thing that makes sense. That's just insane. That's insane. That brings me to the woman that called could have been Jose's girlfriend or... Could have been. I mean, he could have kidnapped her wife or whatever and, like, tried to use her for leverage and then the lawyer's like, "Mm, I don't care. And now she knows too much. There's just, there's not enough detail. Exactly. There's some detail somewhere that hasn't been caught yet. I just thought that this case was like so weird and had so many like coincidental things to it that I was like, I got to tell this story and maybe solve it because it drives me nuts. It's very odd. It's really weird. It drives, it's driving me nuts. Like I said, the amount of like foreshadowing is insane. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you out there in listener land, tell us your theories, leave it in a comment, send it to our email, and uh, share the story with whoever, anyone, everyone. And while you're out there, don't forget to leave us five stars. Does anyone have any final thoughts on this one? No. No. All right. Well, we will see y'all back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.